Okay, we resume our study in Isaiah this evening. So, you should get your Bibles out, get your handouts out. And we're going to jump right back in to prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah is the longest of the prophetic books. Uh, I believe. I don't think Jeremiah is any longer. Pull up the handout from last week, the intro to prophecy. Jeremiah's 52 chapters, Isaiah 66 chapters. So in terms of chapters, we're in the longest book of the prophets, which uh, is why we're spending a couple weeks on it here. Uh, if you think of it like this, the minor prophets are also 66 chapters, and we'll probably spend 12 weeks on them. Uh, so here we are trying to cover 66 chapters in two weeks. So that's that's our task before us to finish this up. Uh, we, we talked last week about some of the, the background issues and the thematic connections throughout the book. Uh, despite the fact that some view discontinuity from section to section, there's far more continuity uh, that makes us understand that this was the man named Isaiah, or, yeah, Isaiah, son of Amos, who wrote the, the prophecy, uh, the book of Isaiah. And we looked at the outline, which frankly, it's a difficult book to outline. Um, we looked at some of the message and the theology and just a refresher when we're looking at Prophetic literature, we're looking for the big three, sin, punishment, restoration, sin, punishment, restoration. You're going to see those in every prophetic writing, almost without exception. And so one of the first things we're going to do and uh, you're going to want to do when you come to read a passage of prophetic writing is figure out, is this a passage about sin or is it about punishment or is it about restoration? And that helps you get a little bit of a bearing to understand the context uh, of what you're reading. And then we looked at specifically, um, this was in the introduct- introduction to prophecy, some of the different types of oracles that you might find within the, the worlds of a sin oracle or a punishment oracle or a restoration oracle, including a salvation oracle, a woe oracle, and uh, there are others there on, on that handout. So we talked about the remnant as a theme in the book of Isaiah. And uh, we're starting this theme of restoration because the book of Isaiah is filled with this uh, concept of uh, restoration. And uh, we we talked briefly about the remnant and some descriptions of the remnant and um, how the remnant truly leans on the Lord. Here I just flipped open to Isaiah 10 and it talks about the remnant of Israel will return. And you'll see right in the middle of the page, right above the Davidic kingdom, it talks about how in Isaiah 10, the remnant truly leans on the Lord and will be fruitful, according to Isaiah 37. So this theme of restoration is not just limited to the remnant. You see the theme of restoration in the Davidic kingdom and the prophecies about the Davidic kingdom and prophecies about God's universal rule. Now, as we're going through this, I have to refresh us a little bit. When we're reading prophecy, we're not looking to try to decode certain things that have gone unexplained in the text. Uh, One of the the tips uh, in, in reading these prophetic writings is that we're not looking for... I want to figure out that I always get these words mixed up. 
we're not looking for foretelling as much as we're looking for forthtelling. Forthtelling is the announcement of imminent divine judgment in the present or near future. So these prophets are reminding the people that they're speaking to. Isaiah is reminding the people that he's speaking to that um, they have broken the covenant of God and there's judgment for that. And so as we understand that they are serving as covenant prosecutors, uh, we realize that we're really, they are laying out for us the syllabus of God's plan. We're looking at, th this is how God works, and this is God's plan for how he intends to work through judgment, to even use judgment uh, to preserve uh, his remnant, to use judgment to um, purify his remnant, uh, and he uses it to restore. So here in the Davidic kingdom, right in the middle of the page is where we're going to pick up. The Davidic kingdom is a theme that images the redeemed elect from all nations in the last day, when all things are made perfect. So this Davidic kingdom you see as, described as the new life from that stump of Jesse in Isaiah uh, 4, verses 2 and 3 talks about this new life. And then Isaiah 11, 1 talks about that root, or that, excuse me, that shoot from the stump of Jesse. Can anybody summarize for us uh, what is meant by this shoot from the stump of Jesse like we talked about last time? Anybody doing the recap for us here? Yes, the tree was cut down. And so this, it seemed like it was going to be this, it was this big dynasty, this, this line of David, this, this stump of Jesse, but uh, the kingdom came to an end at one point. But what's the shoot from that stump that, where the tree has been cut down? It's the, the Messiah who would come from the line of David Jesus himself, who would be the fulfillment and the renewal of that promise, God never actually, that promise was never actually ended because that promise was to come to fruition in Christ. And so Jesus then, as the one who is from the line of David, fulfills that very promise to David, even though it appeared for some time that God had, was not going to keep that promise. And so the Davidic kingdom is a theme uh, where all are welcomed in to the, the kingdom of David. All will be under the this good ruler and uh, we know of course that that will be uh, under Jesus's reign and Jerusalem will be the city of righteousness under his reign will be called the faithful city uh, that, that makes us long for that day oh to live in a place that is faithful and righteous uh, we are unfit for it now on our own but praise the Lord in Christ we will be um, fit on that day to be described as as righteous and faithful because of what Christ has done so the Davidic kingdom will be the new universal kingdom under Jesus. That same promise that comes to its fulfillment in, in Jesus. And then this also uh, is this restoration theme you see in God's universal rule, which is not entirely different uh, as an overlap here. It's a theme highlighting that he is not over just Israel, but all nations. Um, there's the day of vengeance is coming against the whole world. And then uh, we see also in Isaiah 65, I, cre I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So God's going to rule universally. Uh, this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, is the one who's going to rule over all. And he's called the Holy One of Israel 26 times in Isaiah. So the theme of restoration is uh, strong in the book of Isaiah. That's why some people call it the fifth gospel. 
because it's so filled with this uh, promise of Christ and descriptions of him. And we're about to look at some uh, specific descriptions of Christ from the servant songs. Uh, but first, some notable passages, you, you know, uh, of, you've heard of Isaiah's calling where the, uh, the coal is placed, removed from the altar and placed on his lips. And, and Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he gets a, he gets a glimpse of, of the throne room. That's a famous uh, passage here in Isaiah, it's in chapter 6. Uh, Emmanuel, and he, he shall be called, um, well, let's just look over there because my memory is never as good as the real thing. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, which, of course, when you read that in the New Testament, it says, which means God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. Um, For unto us a child is born. Flip over to just a, a page or two to chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. Um, verse six, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we could keep going. Beautiful description of this one who is born to us to save us. The shoot from Jesse's stump, which we've just talked about, prepare the way of the Lord in Isaiah 40, verse three. Let's flip over to Isaiah 44. We now have a Cyrus in our church, and uh, I, based on what I know, he uh, is named in part after this text. Um, this is this is a, a really remarkable text. It's also one of those that causes scholars to say there is no way that this was written beforehand, and there's no way that Isaiah could have written this this late in the game because he would have been long dead by the time these events happened. And, and what do we say about that last time? Well, that's the whole point that God is speaking and revealing things beforehand. Um, that's why they are speaking. These prophets are called the mouthpiece of God. They're speaking for God. And so this remarkable clarity is remarkable because it's God speaking. And so when you go to Isaiah 44, Uh, Starting in verse 28, it says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And then chapter 45 goes into how God is using Cyrus to deliver his people. Kind of skim through there for a moment. See, God doesn't surrender that Cyrus is the one in control. Instead, you see in verses 12 and 13, um, God is the one who's in control and using Cyrus. He says in verse 12, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their hosts. I've stirred him up in righteousness. God's saying, I'm the one who's telling Cyrus what to do. And I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. And so... Uh, it happened that when Cyrus heard this prophecy about him, he sought to fulfill it. And and so, I mean, when you see your name 
like that, when the Lord has called you by name to do this task, um, uh, he, he did it. And that's how Israel ended up being returned from exile. Uh, and he was the one who sent them back to, to build, uh, to rebuild Jerusalem. So uh, that's, that's just how our God works. While we're in this section here in the 40s, flip back to chapter 42, and we're going to spend some time here in the servant songs. Before we move on to the servant songs, any comments on what we've uh, briefly um, surveyed really uh, this evening? Do you think that when, when you were explaining kind of the fourth foretelling and the fourth telling, mm-hmm. do you think when uh, someone from that era would have read these texts, would they have immediately thought of the, the shoot of the stump of Jesse would have been a Messiah figure, or would that have been something like David? Um, you know, how would they have interpreted that? Yeah, that's a great question. Deanna, you asked a very similar question last time. How much do they understand about Jesus and the Trinitarian function and the Messiah? So the Messiah at this time was not understood as divine necessarily. So um, I don't know if they would have... I really should have a, a more robust understanding of the implications of the Messiah. I'm not sure if they viewed the Messiah specifically as from the line of David. Um, I, I th- my gut reaction is to say, yeah, they did. So this probably would have been a messianic figure to them. Um, they but they wouldn't think he was God, though. Right? No, they didn't think he was divine. Not that didn't come until Jesus showed up and like, oh, okay, so the Messiah. Because even when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, even that wasn't necessarily. Um, you know, condemning blasphemous until he claimed to be I am. Um, yeah. So was the understanding of the Messiah then purely just someone who's going to save them from worldly troubles yeah. and not anything, yep. even though... That's how it was understood. Yeah. But you and I look at this now, now that we have the fullness of Revelation, and realize it wasn't limited to worldly troubles. Right. Um, but yeah, some of their governmental and, you know, of course, their national trials of being exiled and returned right. and all these nations against them, that's, that was their primary thought. was, okay, this guy, this, this king is going to come back to the throne and going to reestablish right. us in the golden days of, of David. Would it not have been linking that to the promise that God made to Adam? Then, or are they, were they keeping those separate? It's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It was the you know the seed of the woman going to crush the head yeah. of the serpent? It's that connection. I mean, obviously, we have the the benefit of being able to see that yeah. obvious, right. but I don't right, know right. If, if they're so focused on a worldly it's a good question. savior from the world, if they're keeping those keeping those two separate, or yeah, it's a good question. I don't have an answer for that. Yes, it, it seems to me that like seeing Jesus' words in the New Testament about like. He responds to the Pharisees. He said, like, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Mm-hmm. And, like, that makes me think that some of the patriarchs had an understanding, like, specifically with um, when God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. And, like, you see, like, this, like, you see the, the, like, the theophany of the angel of the Lord was raining down fire of the earth while the angel of the Lord was <laughs> walking with Abraham. And um, so you, there, it there does seem to me to be, like, because like the Israelites knew that Christ was like this this coming redeemer was the substance that like was was being mediated to them in this old covenant, and so it does seem to me that they knew that the, that the Messiah would have to be a, by God's divine intervention. Like it, not necessarily. Like I think there is a mystery of the incarnation. Sure. Yeah. There, yeah. Because I think God 
the incarnation is a mystery that God was even concealing from the principalities, the dark and dark powers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, but I do think that they, to me, it seems like that Jesus is even saying, even in the Hall of Faith, like in Hebrews, that the patriarchs saw his day and were rejoiced because they knew that Christ was being slowly, this progressive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. revelation. No, I, I think that's totally legitimate. Legitimate. The commander of the Lord's army last week, yeah, Joshua totally. saw the second person of Christ. And so it's totally in God's character to reveal himself in that way. Um, yeah, whether they tied that specifically to the concept of the Messiah and the yeah. king from the line of David, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. No, that's good, though. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, let's talk about these servant songs. So there are... Uh, one, two, three, four servant songs in Isaiah, and they talk about a servant, and they tell us certain things about the servant. Uh, this um, now, most most everybody that you read is going to tell you about the servant songs, but for me, I, I was using Nancy Guthrie's study and really jumped into these passages and and highlighted these things. So uh, I advise you to kind of skim along. Uh, as we look through these. So kind of look over Isaiah 42, the first four verses. Here the chosen servant is chosen, he is gentle, and he is filled with justice. I think uh, verses three and four, they seem to be paradoxical. That he's so gentle and he will not break a bruised reed, yet he's not going to grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Actually, Jesus directly says that in Matthew. Uh, what in particular? Uh, that bruised uh, reed? Verse 3. Yeah. Uh, I only know that I just read it, so I don't be too impressed. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, I was just cool for me, I guess. Yeah, this, there's so much um, that is quoted from Isaiah. Um, I was looking for the cross-reference, but don't have it right on hand. I can, I can find it real But the, these concepts, he is both gentle and he is just. He is both approachable and he is omnipotent. And uh, that's just, uh, that's that describes the servant, which verse 42... 42 verse 1 calls him my servant whom I uphold my chosen in whom my soul delights um, which is of course reminiscent of um, his baptism uh, when the father says this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased so Jesus is fulfilling these things did you find it John? Uh, it's Matthew 12 I'm looking for the specific verse yeah, so he starts in verse 18, quoting there, 42.1. It's, it's, it's directly in verse, verse 20, but at least 15. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I probably could have told you that because if you look down in the approaching the New Testament column, the third one down is Matthew 12, <laughs> citing Isaiah 42. <laughs> You, it is cheating. You're right. No, thank you. <laughs> you found it honestly. Flip over to Isaiah 49. Another song about the servants here. Uh, 
This time it's verses 1 through 6. So take a moment, skim through there, and see that the servant of the Lord is a representative of Israel. He is the preserver of Israel. He is light and he is salvation. I think verse 6 really is the powerhouse here, describing Jesus as the one who raises up the tribes of Jacob, the preserved of Israel, talking about all those of Israel who had truly been listening to God's word and trusting him. They saw Jesus. I think of Zechariah. I think of Simeon. I think of Anna. I think of Mary. I think of those uh, of, of the tribes of Israel that were that saw Christ and you know were were like we read from the you know like was mentioned from the hall of faith we're glad to see that the salvation had come uh, my eyes have seen uh, salvation of israel uh, and he's the one who welcomes in those as a from all the nations he's a light to the nations and his salvation reaches to the end of the earth the next chapter isaiah 50 here we have the obedient servant this starts in verse 4 goes to verse 9 Skim over that and you'll see that he's the one who turns the other cheek. He listens and sustains the weary. He is not shamed despite the disgraceful treatment he receives. And he depends fully upon the Lord God. Lastly, flip over another page or two to Isaiah 52, and you see the most famous suffering, or the most famous servant song, the suffering servant. It starts in 52, verse 13. Thankfully, the way my uh, ESV here is structured is there's really no um, break in the flow at 53.1. So it starts in 52.13, and this is a long one. It goes all the way through the end of chapter 53. Some famous um, phrases here in this one is that he was lifted up. He had a marred appearance. Uh, The arm of the Lord is with him. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, pierced for our transgressions, and by his wounds we are healed. Um, So obviously this found a remarkable fulfillment 700 years later in the person of Jesus. And again, we mentioned this last time, if anybody was to say, yeah, well, Isaiah must have been written later, or it's not this old, or anything like that. Well, we have full copies of this from the Dead Seas, Dead Sea Scrolls um, in the two to three hundreds BC, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus um, became incarnate, this was intact. And so this is God's word that has uh, been preserved over time and the truth stands and will never fade. So as you look back at these servant songs, um, maybe what we're looking at is what was mentioned over here a little bit earlier. This is God revealing more and more about how his salvation was to come and what the Savior was to be like. 
And uh, so we see these glimpses of Jesus as the chosen servant, as the servant of the Lord, as the obedient servant and the suffering servant. And so once Jesus comes, um, he takes them back to these passages. Uh, and the, the, uh, those who knew Jesus took others to these passages. Jesus even said, let me explain to you how I'm the fulfillment of these things. Um, and the road to Emmaus. What's that passage? Luke 23. Luke, Luke 22.37? I'm using my cheat sheet. Um, no, I'm not, it's not the Luke 22 one. Oh, what is it, Andrew? I think it's Luke Jesus himself drew near, verse 15. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he says in verse 17, what are you talking about? And um, they said, this Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Um, Can you read it for me? Verse I can't. 27. And beginning with Moses Thank and you. all the prophets, he interpreted to them all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself, so that Thank as you. they drew near the village of Emmaus, in which they were going, he acted as, as if he were going further. Mm-hmm. And he broke bread with them, and their hearts burned within them. Thank you. Yeah. There. Yeah. Um. While we're in Luke, go ahead and flip over to Acts. It also said, can I just also jump in real quick? Yes. On verse uh, 44 there, he said, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law mm-hmm. of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Then he opened the scriptures. Uh, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture, scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should mm-hmm. suffer. Yeah, yeah. And on the third day rise from the dead. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Of course, you find that in the prophets, in, in Isaiah 53. Thank you. Um, while we're here, flip over to Acts 8. It's a, it's a beautiful passage. I heard someone say, I love this passage. Um, I think we'll just start in Acts eight twenty six. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? 
don't know, is he still running beside the chariot at this point? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And this comes from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant song. Uh, and, um, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And so you can see in Isaiah, much of the good news about Jesus, but you can also see how the, the eunuch reads it sincerely. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship and he's still, he's like, I need help understanding this. And that's because you need the fullness the revelation of Christ and um, by God's grace and very explicitly the guidance of the spirit, Philip was there to explain it to him. Uh, so I think that's a, a wonderful passage that shows you the beauty of the book of Isaiah. So we just looked at some of those cross references there where it says approaching the new Testament uh, quotes. These are just quotes in the gospels and in acts on the back, you'll see a little bit more variety, some copy, some, some repeats, and some different ones. Um, I'm sorry, some of you already flipped over. Flip right back to the front really quickly. Um, a few things where we see Christ in Isaiah. He is the king on his throne. He is the atonement for sins. Um, I, I, we have not spent any time in the throne room in Isaiah 6. We need to do this really quickly. Look over to Isaiah 6. You know, I've, I've heard the Isaiah 6 passage many times, and I've always been puzzled by it. Um, but, uh, frankly, going through it again this time, I uh, was able to understand a bit more. Uh, not that I... Uh, it's still confusing in many ways, but uh, specifically this... This coal, this burning coal. I've always been confused. Like, why a burning coal? What does this mean? Touching my lips? What is this? Well, like... I mean, Jesus didn't catch on fire. So like, what does the coal have to do with, with Jesus? But um, verse 6, Isaiah 6, 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs. Where? From the altar. The place of sacrifice. Something has, some sacrifice has been made in this place. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for it's, it's the, the fact that this coal came from the altar where sacrifice is made, where we see that sin is atoned for. And of course, that altar is the cross where Jesus was, was offered up. Uh, and his sins were taken away because of what Jesus did. Um, and I'm trying to see. No, that's all I've got on that for now. Any other thoughts on this before uh, we leave the, the very brief excursus into the, the vision of the Lord? I think it's really um, significant. Like, what was the problem with the Hebrews? Why, why, was, why were they being threatened with judgment and exile? And, we, and I don't think they ever figured it out. I think that's part of the problem. They 
they uh, they weren't following the law, but they also were not reaching the nations. They were to be a light to the nations, and they never were. And uh, you see that in you see that in uh, the other you know like Jonah running the other way, and um, you just see that they in and after the second temple. You get the, the Pharisees rising up, and they believe that the way to prevent judgment and exile was to just follow the law more carefully. And they were neglecting the whole part about reaching the nation. And it's just, I think it's significant here where he says in, in verse 8 and following, he says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And, and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Send me where? Hmm. Right? Well, it's got to be to the nations, right? I would think. It could be. It could also be his commission to To Judah. To Judah to to proclaim the judgment. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a a good point. Their, Their blessing to the nations. You know, you see it in passages like Joshua 6, where Rahab is welcomed in. You see it on occasion... Um, with with various things where the Lord, you know, sets up these encounters for to you know to welcome in outsiders, um, and that that does raise a good question: What was the missiology of Israel supposed to be? Uh, and you're right; they probably didn't comprehend it in full. Now you you look at you look at um, Nehemiah eight though, and they did submit again to the the word of the Lord, and they did return, and they and they grieved, and they confessed their sins. Um, did they grow from there? I don't. I don't know, and and that's not to say that none of them believed, because obviously there were people there who truly were were seeking, you know, the Lord's salvation and were trusting Him for it. But it does remind us, every single one of us, not a single one of us, has that full picture and is acting it out perfectly. Um, yeah, yeah. So we we praise God for Isaiah's willingness to continue to proclaim God's word uh, to His people and and to all who would hear. And and in effect, then Isaiah's words have gone out to all nations. Uh, because we read them, and we thank God for that. Okay. Um, he is Emmanuel in Isaiah 7. We looked at that. He is the child who brings us peace in Isaiah 9. He's the shoot from the stump of uh, Jesse. He's the Lord for whom a way is prepared. Uh, John the Baptist, of course, being the one who prepares the way of the Lord in the wilderness. And then he is a servant of the servant songs. So let's flip over to the back. And um, with the time that we don't have left, what I'd like to do is simply look at this. This word "behold" is crucial. Um, of course, I don't. I don't believe this is every instance of the word "behold," but uh, in the book of Isaiah. But if you look here, um, okay, here's the the passage I was looking for. Um, Isaiah six seven, and he touched my mouth and said, "Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for." Uh, and then you see in Hebrews 9 and in 1 John 2 uh, that these are, Jesus is that one. He is the one whose sacrifice of himself has taken away our sins. He is a propitiation for our sins and the sins of the whole world. You have to forgive the formatting here and the lack of quotes. This is simply a copy and paste from um, Bible Hub or Blue Letter Bible. I can't remember which one I'm using. Um, so that's why it's abbreviated like this. Isaiah 7, uh, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, you know how that's fulfilled. Matthew 1, 23. 
shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 28, Behold, I am the one who has laid laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Then you see how Jesus is, of course, the cornerstone, especially the first Peter 2 passage. Isaiah 32, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. And you see the kingdom of God described in Romans 14 uh, as being a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. That's talking about the expansion of God's kingdom uh, to include all nations and all who believe. Isaiah 35, Uh, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And so when Jesus comes, there's going to be vengeance. You see that in 2 Thessalonians 1, uh, 8. Flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey. But um, the first verse says, he's also going to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us, for those who have faith. Isaiah 42, Behold my servant whom I'm uphold. Here, here is the, um, the first of the servant songs. This is the chosen servant. You see him described here, uh, in whom my soul delights. There you have the um, baptism scene of Jesus, where the Father said, This is my beloved Son. Uh, and then there you have uh, Matthew 12, 15 through 21, which is quoting Isaiah 42 and shows Jesus as the fulfillment. Um, Isaiah 52, suffering servant. Jesus was lifted up. Isaiah 62. The Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Uh, And here you see that salvation come into Jerusalem on a donkey. Humble. Mm -hmm. And then Isaiah 67. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And... um, here you have the promise of the new heavens and the new earth in Second Peter, and then you see it. John sees it again in Revelation 21, and that is what we, too, still await. The new heaven and the new earth, as this first heaven and first earth will pass away. All built upon Jesus.